Good morning. It's um, wonderful to be back together again this morning on this Lord's Day with opportunity to go to our Savior in prayer, to intercede for each other, ask for his pardon and forgiveness, and to sing songs of thanksgiving and praise to him with hearts full of thanksgiving, and now to have him minister to us by the reading and the preaching of his word. What a wonderful time it is when we are gathered together as God's people. Well, this morning you can open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. This morning we're going to be looking at the first five verses of Genesis chapter 1 again. Last week we looked at the details of Genesis 1 through 5 as we walked through the passage and talked about God creating in verse 1, God hovering in verse 2, speaking in verse 3, seeing and separating in verse 4, and naming in verse 5. But this week, instead of walking through those details again, we're going to focus our attention on a couple of themes that bubble up from from those details of our passage. We're going to do this uh, in two points. Our first point, the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters, a detail that we can see in verse 2 of our passage, but this detail, what happens as a result of this detail, creates a theme that we're going to look at as it moves through the Scriptures. Our second point will be God separates light from darkness. Again, a detail that we can see in verse 4, but a detail that creates a theme that's probably more familiar to us and runs throughout the Scriptures. Let's begin our time together by reading Genesis 1, 1 through 5 again. Hear now the words of the only true and living God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His holy and infallible Word. Let's go to Him in prayer together before we begin looking at our passage. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have gathered together this morning as Your people to glorify Your name. trusting that as Your people, in a special way that Your Son rules over us as we've gathered together and Your Spirit ministers to us in a special way as we desire to see Your kingdom come and Your will 
being done here among us this morning and in the world at large as it is in heaven. Father, we ask that you would help us during our time together. Uh, Clear our minds of those things that uh, easily distract us. Help us to focus on your word, to see the things that you have worked in to your word and help us to be in awe of your wisdom, of your kindness to reveal these things to us and to preserve them through the centuries that we, your people, would come to know you through your Son. Father, we lift up our sister churches this morning. We do not ask these things only for ourselves, but we ask them as well for Covenant Baptist Church in Toronto, Canada, and Goshen Baptist Church down in Wilkesboro. Father, we ask that you would be with our brothers and sisters in these congregations, that you would do this same work among them, that you would encourage them, strengthen them, give them the grace that they need to persevere in their faith, to labor, to not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers of it. And Father, we ask that you would use them to proclaim your gospel this morning as they uh, proclaim your word to strengthen your people, that you would also bring unbelievers in among them, just as we trust and hope that you have done among us this morning, that they would hear the gospel. You would grant them repentance and faith. Father, please use our sister churches and their communities in this way. Father, we also lift up our brothers and sisters throughout the world who must endure hardship and persecution. We lift up our brothers and sisters throughout the Middle East who must endure the disdain of their Muslim neighbors at times, and persecution from governing officials over them. Father, we ask that just as light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it, that you would use them as instruments of light to see your gospel be received by faith and the wicked made righteous by faith in your Son, Jesus. Father, give our dear brothers and sisters strength and grace that they need to endure these things. Father, as we turn our attention now to this passage of Scripture before us today, I ask, Father, that you would help us as we move from this passage through two other passages throughout the Scriptures that you would help us to grab hold of that scarlet thread that you run throughout and help us to follow it and to see your wisdom and to glorify you because of it. Help us now, we pray, in our Savior and King's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Do you remember the first time you yelled... 
and heard your echo. If you grew up in the mountains, it was probably pretty on, early on in life. Or if you've ever been into a cave, you probably remember the sound of your voice or of other noises in the cave echoing down through the cave. When you're a kid, echoes are fun. Uh, and we probably all had the experience as a kid hearing our echo for the first time. And then what do we do as kids? We do it over and over and over again until it becomes an annoyance to our parents. And they finally get fed up with it and say, all right, Kaysen, that's enough. We'll do it again later. That's enough for now. Well, the thing about echoes is that they originate from us, and as they travel down through caves or down through a mountain range, what happens to them? They get weaker. They grow softer and softer and softer until they disappear altogether. Well, this morning, as we look at these two themes we're going, that we're going to be looking at, we are going to be looking at a kind of echo in the Bible, an echo that begins here in the first day of creation, and just as echoes get recycled as they move through mountain ranges or caves, the themes that we're going to look at this morning get recycled as they resound down through Scripture. There is one big difference, though, that we're going to notice. The difference is that unlike echoes, these themes don't get softer and softer as they go through the Scriptures, but they get louder and louder. They don't grow fainter and fade, faded, but rather they grow clearer, more distinct, serving the purpose for which the echo originated in the first place. The difficulty with themes in the Scriptures, like the ones we're going to talk about today, though, are is that they we frequently don't notice them until someone points them out to us. And then we often find after someone has pointed them out to us, far from noticing them, we just can't unsee them. We see them everywhere, and we wonder how in the world we missed it in the first place. And I hope that our time together this morning is going to have that effect on you. I hope that you will see these themes that begin here in the passage that we read in the first day of creation, and I hope that they will be an encouragement to your faith as you see the wisdom of our God to build these themes into the very fabric of creation and then to recycle them, echo them down louder and louder through the Scriptures until that echo becomes incarnate. Well, let's jump right into our first point this morning, the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. In verse 2 of our passage, as God begins His first creative acts, we see that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now last week we talked about how the Spirit's actions here in verse 2, His hovering over the face of the waters, look to be the Spirit sustaining and protecting like a mother hen. Until God takes this earth that is entombed in this water, is without form and void, and gives it form and puts it to the purpose that He intends for it to serve. 
Beloved, we need to recognize that just as we said last week when we talked about the children's catechism question, that all things were made for God's glory, that that is exactly what God is doing here in this creation account. And that is exactly what we are going to explore today. God taking this theme and using it for His glory throughout the Scriptures. Now in this first theme that we're looking at, we're going to do this in five steps, five stepping stones, if you will, that are related to this first theme of the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. So for our first stepping stone, I just want to state what this theme is in order to help us follow it through the Scriptures. What we are looking for in this first theme as we go through these stepping stones is creation out of water by word and spirit into a new creation. Creation out of water by word and spirit into a new creation. And we are looking for that particular pattern because that is what God is doing here in the beginning. Here in Genesis 1, He is taking this formless and empty earth entombed in the watery deep and creating out of water, by His Word and Spirit, the first new, this first brand new creation. So now that we have this theme in our minds of creation out of water, by Word and Spirit, into new creation... If you're the note-taking type, the rest of our stepping stones are going to be the flood, the exodus event, Jesus' baptism, and our own baptism. So the first stepping stone is the theme. Creation out of water, by word and spirit, into a new creation. And the next four stepping stones are the flood, the exodus, Jesus' baptism, and our own baptism. So that's how we're going to trace this theme, this first theme, from here in Genesis 1. So let's look at our second stepping stone as we look at this first echo of this theme in the Bible. The first time we see this pattern repeating in the Bible, or the first echo that we hear of this theme of creation out of water, by word and spirit, into new creation, is the flood narrative in Genesis 6 through nine. So go ahead and turn over in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Now at the beginning of the flood narrative in Genesis 6 through 9, the wickedness of mankind is so great that God says in verse 5 of Genesis chapter 6, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So we know that because of the wickedness of mankind that had increased on the face of the earth, God determines to destroy the earth through a decreation event that we call the flood, where God takes this earth that He had created out of the watery deep, and God takes the earth and everything He had created to live on it and destroys it by putting it back under water. Except Noah and his family. And remember how God saves Noah and his family. He does it through his word. God speaks to Noah in chapter 6, beginning in verse 13, and tells him that he must build an ark 
an ark of wood that will save him and deliver him and his family through these waters of judgment that are coming. Now turn over to Genesis chapter 8. And let's look at what happens after the flood. After the flood waters have come, we see in chapter 8 of Genesis that it says in verse 1, God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Now what is not obvious to us in English is that the Hebrew word in Genesis 8.1 here for wind is the same word that we have in Genesis 1 verse 2 for the Spirit of God. The Hebrew word is ruach. We would spell it in English R-U-A-H, but it is pronounced ruach. So in Genesis 1 verse 2, the ruach of God is hovering over the face of the waters, and the world and everything in it was created by word and spirit out of that initial watery deep. Likewise, after the flood, you have a type of new creation coming out of the waters of the flood. And how does Genesis 8.1 say this new creation came about? It says that God sends His Ruach to blow over the earth. And God's Ruach, again, brings the earth out of the waters. Well, hopefully you're hearing those echoes of Genesis 1 here in the flood narrative. But to make these parallels of this echo crystal clear in our minds, look, turn back to Genesis 1. Then look down in verse 28 and hear what God says to Adam and Eve at the end of the sixth day of the first creation. Genesis 1, verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now turn back over to Genesis 9, having just read that, and hear what God says to Noah and his sons. In verses 1 through 2, after this decreation flood and this new creation, type of new creation coming out of the floodwaters. <clears throat> Genesis 9, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand, they are delivered. Exercise dominion, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and exercise dominion over it. So here in this first echo, in this first instance, we have a new creation and a new humanity coming through the waters of judgment, created and sustained by word and spirit. So now we've seen this theme in our second stepping stone. Let's move on to our third stepping stone and hear this echo again in the Exodus. Well, it's hard to underestimate how important the Exodus is in the history of redemption that God reveals to us in His Holy Scriptures. I hope you remember what we talked about in our first Genesis sermon. The Exodus event is the reason why this book of Genesis exists in the first place. 
Genesis was written by Moses after the Exodus event in order to instruct Israel about the God who had just delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Now, how did God deliver the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt? Well, given the theme that we're looking at, it shouldn't be a surprise to you to hear that He did it by word and spirit, through water, and into a type of new creation. God sent His Word to His people, and not just to His people, but to their captors, and He did so by His prophet Moses repeatedly warning the wicked of judgment that was going to come upon them through the plagues, and promising at the same time to deliver His people, that they may worship Him. But when we think of God delivering Israel from slavery in Egypt, we're going to focus our attention on the Exodus event, the parting of the Red Sea. Turn to Exodus 14 in your Bibles. Now, as you're making your way to Exodus 14, take a guess at how the parting of the Red Sea happens. Yes, the Ruach. In Exodus 14... If you look down to verses 15 and 16, you will see that God spoke His Word to Moses and He tells them to take the people of Israel through the Red Sea. And now look down in verse 21 and you will see that after Moses stretches his hand out over the sea that God sends His Ruach from the east during the darkness of the night and he, through his ruach, made the watery deep part. He made dry land appear out of the water so that these slaves from Egypt were able to cross over the waters on dry ground to the other side. And what happened on the other side when the people had all passed through the water on dry ground that had been brought, made dry by the parting of the waters, by the Ruach of God. After passing through the waters that had been parted by God's Word and Spirit, these slaves of Egypt became the covenant people of God, who were to be a kind of new humanity, a kind of new creation, blessed by God to be fruitful and multiply godly offspring until they were a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And like the flood that we looked at in our second stepping stone, don't we see here in the Exodus event that the wicked are judged in this creation by word and spirit through water, even here in Exodus? What happens to the Egyptians when they try to pass through the waters into a kind of new creation? They are destroyed. And ever since the fall of mankind into sin and misery at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this theme of new creation through the waters of judgment by word and spirit where the wicked perish and only the redeemed make it through into the new creation, this theme is an echo that continually gets louder in the Bible. Let's move on to our fourth stepping stone as we look at this pattern. 
As we said at the beginning, the first, the, our fourth stepping stone is Jesus' baptism, and this should be somewhat fresh in your minds, having just gone through the Gospel of Mark, because the very first event that happens in Mark is Jesus' baptism, as He is beginning His ministry. And what happens at Jesus' baptism? Doesn't Jesus, the second Adam, the true and better Adam, the prophet better than Moses, what does he do? He descends down into the water with John the Baptist. And in this event, what happens? The Father speaks His Word about the Son. And do we not see the Spirit hovering and descending upon the Son as He rises up out of the watery grave? And just to help us hear this echo a little better, what form does the Spirit take when He descends upon Christ? Is it not the form of a dove, just like the dove that Noah sent out to find dry land at the end of the flood narrative? I hope that you can see these parallels and hear these echoes of these themes here in the life of Christ. Our Savior, who is the one who not only created in the beginning, where we're at in Genesis, but is, He is also the one who inaugurated a new creation in His life, death, and resurrection. And here at His baptism, we see Him, the one who brings this new creation with Him, rising up out of the waters with the Spirit, hovering over and descending upon Him. Beloved, isn't this what Christ is in His baptism? Is this not a new humanity coming up out of the waters of judgment with Word and Spirit present? And what is Jesus doing in all of His actions, in His life, in His death, in His resurrection? Is He not inaugurating that new creation and as the true and better Adam forming in Himself a new humanity to inherit that new creation that He's leading them to? And haven't we, who have been united to Christ, heard the words of God to Adam in Genesis 1 and Noah in Genesis 9 that we read a few minutes ago when he speaks to them and gives them their commission to be fruitful, to multiply, fill the earth and subdue it? Do we not hear that echoed when we hear that all authority is given to Christ and he in turn blesses his people and tells them in essence to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, not in those exact words, but in the words of go therefore and make disciples, new creations, new creatures in Christ of all the nations. Let's move on to our fifth and final stepping stone here in our first theme as we look at this theme of Creation out of water, by word and spirit, and into new creation. And I want us to consider these things as we look back on our own baptisms as followers of Christ. As we begin doing so, I want to point out something about the flood of Genesis 9 and the Exodus event of Exodus 14 before we do. What I want to point out about them in order to solidify that this is a legitimate theme of Scripture in your minds is to bring to your recollection that the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3 connects the floodwaters of Noah, 
Our first echo, he connects the floodwaters and Christian baptism together. When he says that just as the ark saved Noah and brought him through the waters of judgment, so too those who have entered the ark of Christ by faith are also saved as they go through the waters of judgment in their baptism. And just as Noah was not saved by the water, but rather he was saved through the water by being in the ark, so too only those who have been united by Christ to Christ by faith, who have been placed in the ark that is Christ, will be saved as they go through the waters of baptism. And though we do not see it immediately, the wicked who seek to pass through those waters of baptism as false professors will not be saved. But in the end, they will be destroyed just as the wicked were when they sought to pass through the judgment waters of flood and Red Sea. In doing this, beloved, I know that 1 Peter 3 raises questions in our minds, and I'm happy to talk more with you about those questions later, but what I want you to focus on and what I want you to hear because of what we're looking at today is the echoes from Genesis 1 and Genesis 6 through 9 and Exodus 14 as you think about your own baptism. You who were dead in your sins, objects of God's wrath, enslaved to sin and Satan, just as the Israelites were enslaved to Pharaoh, you were brought from the darkness of the watery grave, you were brought forth from death to life by word and spirit into a new creation. New creatures in Christ, buried and raised to walk in what? Newness of life. And isn't this what Paul teaches us about our baptism in Romans 6? We don't have time to read it all, but it should be very familiar to you because we read the first 14 verses when someone gets baptized here at the gathering church. And if you want to turn to Romans 6, if you want to turn there quickly, you can so that you can see some of these details as I speak about them. If you will recall the overall thrust of the passage of Romans 6 in your minds, you will remember that in it, Paul instructs us that the waters of baptism are a picture of death. But because we have heard the word of life, because we have received the Ruach of God who has hovered over us and who indwells us, because we have received word and spirit, we have died to the old creation and been made new creations in Christ Jesus. Buried in the waters of baptism, raised to walk in new creation life. And having been brought from death to life, having been created by word and spirit, what is the other theme of our baptism in Romans 6? Look at verses 11 to 14, where it says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as sin or to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life 
and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Beloved, having been made new creations in Christ Jesus, we are to consider ourselves dead to sin, dead to the old man, dead to our flesh, dead to this old creation, and alive to God, alive to walk in righteousness, in holiness, to live as a new humanity in this old creation, as ambassadors of a heavenly kingdom that is coming, that we pray will come and whose will will be done here on earth in this old creation as it is in heaven. All of these things are true of us, brothers and sisters, and they lead us to our second point today as we think about the second theme back in Genesis 1, 1 through 5. We have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into a kingdom of light. In the beginning, God separated the light from the darkness. Beloved, He is still doing that in you today. And He is still doing that through you in this world today. If you'll turn back to Genesis 1. We can see in verse 4. As we talked about last week, that God creates light and separates it from darkness here on the first day. And what we are looking at today is the fact that this was not just some random decision on God's part. It's not as though God could have decided to create anything else on the first day that He created on the other days and it would have just been just as good. No, beloved, our God does not And He cannot do anything at random or arbitrarily, but He always and forever acts according to the wise counsel of His will. And He always does not just good things, but the best things. And so when we see God creating light and separating it from darkness here on the first day, this is not just a random action on God's part. It was intentional, full of His divine wisdom and purpose that at the very foundation of creation on day one of Genesis 1 is this distinction between light and darkness. God takes this theme of light and darkness and weaves it throughout the rest of Scripture. And we're just going to scratch the surface of all the ways that Scripture picks up this theme today of light and darkness. What I pray the Lord will do is open your eyes as we go through this is to see that just as God curbed darkness when He created light, that He is continuing to do so until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ's return, when we are informed, when He comes with the new creation, there will be no such thing as darkness anymore. As we begin here in Genesis 1 this morning, where we see in verse 5 that after creating, separating, and naming light and darkness, the first day closes with this phrase that gets repeated throughout the creation days here in Genesis 1 that we'll be going through. It says, And there was evening, darkness, and there was morning, light, the first day. 
One theologian remarks that not only here in Genesis 1, but throughout the entire history of mankind, the incessant mornings are evidence of God's loving kindness and faithfulness. Because every night serves as a reminder of what the earth once was before the life-giving Word of God. But each morning's new light conquers our anxious nights. And again, and again, and again, and again reminds us in each sunrise that His mercies are new every morning and that we can say with the psalmist that weeping may tarry for the night. Joy comes in the morning. Much like our first point, this theme of light and darkness shows up prominently in God's redemption of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Remember, for instance, the ninth plague before the Exodus event that is described in Exodus 10. Remember that there was darkness in Egypt. Guess for how long? Three days. Darkness in Egypt for three days. Another important theme in the Scriptures. But as verse 23 of Exodus 10 informs us, all the people of Israel had light where they lived. God distinguishes between His people that He is going to redeem and those who have just unjustly slaved them by enveloping the wicked in darkness while enveloping His people in light. And this light that Israel experienced during the ninth plague becomes a pillar of fire that will light their nights and light their way as they go through their wilderness wanderings. And we know that this pillar was not just a pillar of fire at night, but it was also a pillar of cloud during the day to protect them, just as it did at the Red Sea as the Egyptian army is approaching Israel to destroy them as the wicked come back to destroy and in captive God's people again. Exodus 14 instructs us that then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. Again, darkness for the wicked of Egypt. Light and life for Israel. And also remember this theme of light and darkness in the tabernacle, in their wilderness wanderings, and later in the Jerusalem temple. The issue of light and darkness was so important that there was a lampstand that had to be lit at all times, giving light in the temple to what would otherwise be a dark place. And so this theme of light and darkness is very important in the life of Israel and becomes one of the most prominent themes that gets echoed in the Psalms where it represents it comes to represent knowledge and salvation and God's holy word. Here are these three references quickly. Psalm 27:1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 43. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. 
Psalm 110, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Well, beloved, are you anxious as you see a wicked world encroaching upon you, upon your life of following Christ, as you see a wicked culture growing more and more wicked and seeking to infiltrate and destroy God's people? Let this theme of light and darkness be an encouragement to you. Here again, Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord, as your God, is your light, is your salvation. Whom shall you fear? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me, which is why we should bring to mind the the proverb. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord because He is your light. And His Word is that lamp that lights the path, the way that is straight. It is the Word of God sent out by the Spirit of God through God's prophets that the psalmist says is light and salvation and truth, that which shines on the path that leads to God's dwelling place on His holy hill. And so later, as the Scriptures continue to progress, when Israel rejects this light, when they refuse to obey the light of the Word, God sends His prophets to them, and the constant theme, if you read through the prophets in their writings, is sources of light being turned into darkness as a sign of judgment upon this people that has broken covenant with God until ultimately darkness closes out the Old Testament and Israel goes 400 years without the light of a prophetic word from God. This is where the good news starts. And this theme of light and darkness explodes. Because God, being rich in mercy, sent His only begotten Son into the world. And we read in John 1, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him, but to all who did receive them, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This explosion of God's glorious light into our dark world, this Lamb of God who is the light of the world and gives light and life to all who believe, such that He says to His people, He says to you, beloved, in the Scriptures, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And also, for at one time you were darkness, but now 
You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And again, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. And again, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Beloved, the night is far gone, and we as children of the light must heed the words of Christ, of our King, to labor while there are days left in this old creation. Knowing that the sun is setting on this old creation, and that when our glorious Savior returns, when He brings the glories of the new creation with Him in that eternal Sabbath rest, there will be no more darkness, no more death, no more pain, no more sea. As the Apostle John instructs us in Revelation, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. What a glorious day that is going to be, beloved. When our Savior, who delivers us through the waters of judgment into the new creation, and how has He done so? By His Word, through His Spirit. As we close today and spend some time in prayerful reflection on these themes of Scripture, let us remember that while we remain in this old creation, we are ambassadors of light. And we have been commanded to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We, the church of the living God, the bride of Christ, are to lay siege to the gates of darkness, to the gates of hell, with full confidence just that just as light can never be overcome by darkness, so too our Savior will build His church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And when the darkness seems thick as the middle of the night, remember, there was evening, but there's morning coming. This is our labor in this dark and fallen world, beloved, to labor through frustration, through pain, through persecution, through mundaneness, but to labor in faith that just as we who were once dead in our sins and were made alive together with Christ, now we labor in faith, whether it's when we come together to worship and encourage one another, whether it's when you change your children's diapers and as they grow older, urge the gospel on them, whether you're a missionary to a foreign land, whatever it is that you do, you labor now in faith seeking to be light in whatever station or situation you are in, believing what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, that we go out spreading the gospel to the world, to unbelievers, whether in our own home, in our workplaces, in our families, in our community, or in the world, we go out knowing that in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. 
But beloved, we labor in faith because we know that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so he goes on in 1 Corinthians 4, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. And dear unbeliever, if you are here this morning, friend, you are darkness. You are in rebellion against your Creator. You are an object of His wrath. And there is a judgment coming that is pictured in the flood, in the Exodus event, that the wicked will not make through. Only those redeemed by Christ will make it through the judgment of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you are here this morning, whether our children or a guest, we plead with you to hear these themes of your Creator that He has put in His Word and know that those were just shadows of what is to come. And so we plead with you to repent of your sins. Trust in Christ. Be united to that ark, the only ark that will get you through the final judgment. And so our prayer for you today, as we've sought to encourage each other through God's Word and be strengthened and nourished to see His wisdom in His Word, our prayer for you today, dear unbeliever, is that you would hear these things and God's Spirit would give you ears to hear, eyes of faith to see, and would give you repentance of your sins and help you see the glories of the light of Christ, that it would shine on you, that the morning star would rise in your heart and you would be saved, that today would be the day of salvation for you. Well, brothers and sisters, let us pray that just as God has brought us out of the darkness of the deep and created us by His Word and Spirit and made us lights in this dark world that He might be pleased to use us in our generation as His ambassadors to not only make His appeal to a lost world to be reconciled to God, but that He might continue His ministry through us to seek and save that which is lost. Beloved, this is difficult labor. There's a reason why we are promised persecution in this dark world. There's a reason why we are told to count the cost. There's a reason why it is said to be a taking up of the cross, of a putting to death the old man. It is difficult labor, and we can be weighed down by the amount of darkness that we just see in our own lives before we ever look out into the world. But beloved, be encouraged and remember that just as God's mercies are new every morning, that as we are reminded every day when the sun rises in the morning, that though our labors in this world are difficult, let us cling to the words of the psalmist and keep our eyes on the horizon that though weeping is going to tarry through the night, joy is coming when that morning star rises up from the right hand of the Father 
and comes to gather us, His people, into the new creation. And He brings it with us. And we, with no need of sources of light, no need for sun, moon, or stars, because our Savior, our God, will be our light for all eternity. Let us long for that day, but labor now as Noah did before building and getting into the ark. Let us preach the gospel to our family members, urging it on to our children, to our co-workers as God gives us opportunities. Let us purpose as a church to be light in our community. And let us pray that He would not limit us to just our families or just our community, but that He would raise up among us missionaries that we could shoot out from the gathering church as flaming arrows out into the dark parts of the earth who have never heard the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Father, we ask that as your son is ruling over us right now from your right hand and he is interceding for us right now at your right hand, we ask that you would receive our prayers, our worship as we offer it to you in faith in his name. And we plead with you, Father, to grant us your spirit to open our eyes to these things of your word, to give us ears that will hear their echoes as they resound through your history of redemption in your word, and that it would encourage us to see your wisdom, your power, that even in the creation, you were accomplishing your purpose. Father, whether we are young or old, whatever station of life we find ourselves in, help us, Father, to be light. Help us, help your word, cause your word by your spirit to renew our zeal for holiness. For though we remain in this old creation, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. And we are to live in this old creation as citizens of the one to come. Seeking to gather as many into the ark of Christ before the judgment of fire comes upon this world. God, we ask that you would bless our labors not only out there as we seek to evangelize and be your ambassadors, but also in here as we seek to encourage that you would use these things to sustain us, to preserve us until the end. Oh, Father, we love you. We thank you for what you have accomplished. We ask that you would help us as we meditate on these things to have our zeal for you renewed and invigorated. And we ask all these things 
In Jesus' name, amen.